Well, I invite you to turn to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, and we're going to be giving our attention to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. <clears throat> One of the, the worst things about sin is that it carries with it a certain moral myopia, <laughs> nearsightedness, I guess you'd call it. It distorts our ability to detect its presence. Our tendency is to recognize sin immediately in others, but downplay its obviousness in ourselves. One of my historical heroes, Winston Churchill, who was not known for his humility, made the passing comment about one of his political opponents, there but for the grace of God, goeth God. Theodore Roosevelt, however, made the wise observation, if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you would not sit for a week. We need a new way of looking at our sin. We need a new way of understanding it. And the Apostle Paul says that we are transformed, that is, we morph by the renewing of our minds, thinking differently, perceiving it differently. And in our text for today, Paul reframes our perspective on what is perhaps the most cardinal sin, and that would be pride. And he does so in order to call up the most foundational virtue, that would be humility. So it's morphin' time. I want to invite you to follow along um, as I read Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. If you're able to stand in honor of God's word, please join me. Follow along as we read these words from the Apostle Paul. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of God. Join me as I pray. And so, Lord, as, as we uh, give attention to this word from you about Pride and humility. We ask that you would 
reveal yourself, that you would speak to us, that your spirit would move among us, that the power of the gospel would be on display, the power of the working of the Holy Spirit would be discernible, and that you would be shaping us as a people, a people who would be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me begin by just drawing your attention to, to three brief observations from the first verse of this section. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul has something to say. First of all, he has something to say to all of us, everybody in the church. He's addressing a real issue for everybody here. He says, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. And so if you're, if you're tempted in a few moments to kind of do one of these, you know, uh, you need to hear this. Just, just nod and point to verse 3. I know we all do. Second, Paul is addressing us as an apostle called by God. By the grace given to me, I say. That means that what Paul's about to say is not merely a suggestion. It's not merely a matter of opinion. What Paul says here is an authoritative word given to us through Paul by God. And it is a gift. This word is a gift. God is giving us a powerful gift. He's giving us a gift of power. That's what grace means. Our, our religious culture has so redefined the word grace to mean nothing more than be nice to me, accept me the way I am, be gentle. No, Romans chapter 12 verse 3 is not translated by the gentleness with which God has treated me, I say to you, gently. No, this, it's, it's by the power of God, according to the authority of God, I address you. And what's the first thing that God means to morph in our lives? What, what, what gospel-generated trait is most foundational in the life of a growing disciple of Jesus. After, after all that we hear about the gospel doctrine of Romans chapters 1 through 11, now what is the first and foremost, singular, most significant gospel-generated characteristic? And Paul unpacks it in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. I say to everyone among you, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. So, this is the third brief observation. Where the gospel is being proclaimed, where the gospel is believed, where the gospel is functioning, getting things done in the lives of God's people, the most foundational virtue 
God aims to produce is sober thinking about ourselves. That's because of our spiritual nearsightedness. We all have an, a chronic, unrealistic estimation of ourselves. We all tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And there is a word for that. Pride. And there is a word for not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. A word for thinking about ourselves with sober judgment. And that is the word humility. So, after opening this window in Romans chapters 1 through 11 on, the, on this massive gospel mountain range of God's mercy, the foremost character quality to which Paul draws our attention is humility. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So, nothing short of this Himalayan mountain range of gospel mercy under you, at work in you, now with all that working for you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, and by the power of this infinite mercy, be transformed. Don't get sucked into this vortex of the world's mindset on this. I am what I am. I is what I is. Just accept me for who I already are. No way. In, in, in accordance with the faith that God has so mercifully assigned to you, so kindly distributed to you, think. Think clearly about all that he is for you. Think soberly about yourself and all that you are in him. It's morphine time. Now, before we drop into the specifics that we need to think about, let's do our best to be clear on what it really, what it is that really needs to change. When, when we think about thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, what is it that we're thinking? <laughs> what, what, what comes to mind? You know, is it this caricature of that obnoxious person so full of themselves? You know, the, 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 is it Brian Regan, the comedian, that talks about the me monster, you know? Is it the me monster who turns every conversation into an, you know, an occasion to make much of himself? Me, 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 myself, I, myself, me, me, you know, the, that whole thing. Uh, or, or do you think about the pouty person who feels wrongly overlooked? Loved ones, Paul is addressing more than that. He's addressing a mindset. And this mindset may manifest itself in arrogant self-promotion or sullenness and self-pity. But more commonly, it lurks, it hides, it's clothed in camouflage, and it manifests itself in more culturally acceptable behaviors such as 
self-reliance and self-sufficiency. What Paul is calling us to morph is our thinking. And the morpher is this gospel-powered renewal of a mindset. So I believe that the claim of Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 8 is that every disciple of Jesus should think like a living sacrifice thinks. Every disciple of Jesus should think the way a living sacrifice ought to think. So how does a living sacrifice think? What's the mindset of one who lays themselves on an altar every day, every hour, as an expression of worship to God? How do they think? All the Old Testament references regarding sacrificial offerings to God have to do with atonement for sin. A living creature slaughtered. You ever watched as a domestic animal is being butchered? It's, it's, a, it's a rather unsettling thing. It's not joke-worthy. Death is a sobering reality. And the death of a sin offering was a sobering reality. Perhaps the closest thing in, to this in our world today is the death penalty for the most heinous crimes. The, the word sober, which Paul uses in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, is also translated sensible. Think, think sensibly, think clearly, unclouded. As the 18th century Anglican Samuel Johnson famously wrote, depend on it. When a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. The fog goes away. If there's, if there's confusion about what's really, really significant, it's gone. Loved ones, is, is the willing offering of our bodies to God as a living sacrifice any less sobering? Is the Christian life anything less than a dying daily to self and a living daily to God? Is the Christian life anything less than a concentrated day by day laying down our life surrender? Father, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. My life, my body, my mind, my time, my vocation, my marriage, my family, my income, my health, my margin is not mine. I offer it all to you. That's a sobering reality. And the mindset, that is the thoughts and the judgments and the perspective and the decisions that come out of all that, of a living sacrifice, are, are sober thoughts, sober judgments, sober choices. Now, by the grace that God has given to him, Paul knows our impulse to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And so, by the grace that God has given him, Paul aims to concentrate our thoughts 
And he aims to concentrate our thoughts with respect to three areas. The way we think about ourselves, the way we think about the church, and the way we think about spiritual gifts. It's, it's rather remarkable that it's in these three arenas, if you will, that, that are, in a counterintuitive kind of way, the Lord uses our thoughts, clear thinking about ourselves and about the church and about spiritual gifts as a way to, as an antidote to thinking too highly about ourselves. These are the three areas where Christians find themselves so distinctly tempted (laughs) to think more highly of themselves than they ought. And these are the three areas where God gives us such remarkable and unanticipated help. Let's consider them one at a time. First of all, a living sacrifice thinks sober thoughts about himself. The root of sinful pride is our natural impulse to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. So look at it again, verse 3. I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. So the, the antidote to thinking too highly about ourselves is a sober recognition that if we possess any measure of faith in God, if I'm trusting God today, if I'm relying on God today, it's because of God. He assigned that. He made that happen. In one brief phrase, Paul summarizes the entire message of Romans 1 through 11. Each according to the measure of faith that we brought to the table, each according to the measure of faith that we determined for ourselves, that we mustered, that we aroused. No, our salvation is owing completely from beginning to end to God and his mercy alone. That's why it says each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Loved ones, God just nips our high-mindedness regarding ourselves in the bud with this reality that we are saved by grace alone. It's all, including faith. Even faith itself is a gift from God. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing through the word of Christ so that no one can make much of themselves. A living sacrifice thinks of himself in relationship to God's kindness and mercy. The judgments of a living sacrifice are always tinted by the sobering fact that I once was dead, now I've been made alive. I was blind, but now I see. I was enslaved to sin and disobedience, but now I'm free. I was condemned, but now I'm forgiven. I was guilty, but now I'm counted holy and blameless and above reproach. I was rejected, but now I'm accepted by God in Christ. I I said at one time, not God's will, but mine be done. I governed my life. I did things my way. I relied upon myself. But now I live by faith in the one who loved me. And gave himself for me. Now I live by the faith in the one who assigned that faith to me. 
And now I want what he defines as good. Now I want what he deems perfect. Now I want what's acceptable to him. I am not my own. My body belongs to him. What I couldn't do, he did it all. I owe it all to his sovereign grace and to the measure of the faith that he has assigned to me. To God be the glory. It's, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing that that very notion, the very reality that we tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought is the very means by which God reminds us of how much we need him. That's a sober perspective of a living sacrifice. Second, a, a living sacrifice thinks soberly about the church. And I would say specifically about the local church. Here's where I get that. It, it may seem obvious that the antidote to thinking too highly of ourselves is to think soberly about who we are in Christ and how much we need Christ and how we came to be who we are in Christ. What is most likely less obvious is the relationship there is between our pride and our perspective on the local church. But whoa, it is precisely right there. In the week in and week out relationships that we have with one another. <laughs> relationships with others who are as high thinking about themselves as we are. That the mindset of a living sacrifice is most profoundly tested. Look at verses 4 and 5. So, or 4, because so we're, we're considering another reason now for sober judgment of ourselves. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Paul's referring to the local church. He's referring to this Context, this social construct where different members have different practical functions in relationship to one another. Paul's comparing the local church to a body in the same way that a physical body has different parts, hands, feet, arms, legs, hips, shoulders, etc., etc., etc. All these different parts are joined together into one body, so a local church is made up of individual members that are joined to one another. And as with a physical body, a local church has no free agents. You know, a, a hand may function differently than a hip, but that doesn't mean that the hand has the prerogative to operate independently. We're a, it's a body. It's not the way a body works. So based on the flow of his argument, what Paul's saying is that when God expresses his mercy to sinners, he saves us into Jesus' body. We're not saved into personal autonomy. We're not saved into doing our own thing. And the expression of Jesus' body that we're saved into, the particular body where we actually practically functionally are members of one another, is the local church. And therefore, the local church it's not an assembly of free agents who all operate independently. The local church is an assembly of living sacrifices 
presenting themselves, both individually and corporately, to God as spiritual worship. Now, that's a sobering thought. We don't think that way in our society. It's typical for us to think of the virtues of self-sufficiency and self-autonomy where, you know, we, we do what we think is right and best. It's counterintuitive to think of ourselves joined to one another. participate when I want to. I engage when I want to. I decide to what degree I invest myself in whichever expression of Christ's body I choose. This is why to Paul, it is in relation to the local church. It's in the context of the local church where remarkably we may discern most accurately how highly we actually think of ourselves. Isn't that a sobering thought? But it's also a thought that requires sober judgment. Because in the context of the local church, in the context of a where relationships are significant and meaningful, bouncing off each other, grinding against each other, that's... That's where all of our tendency to think more highly of ourselves gets pressed to the surface. And more intensely than that, if you've ever in your local church life crossed paths with not just narcissistic, self-serving, self-centered, self-exalting other members, but narcissistic, self-serving, self-exalting, authoritarian leaders, then the kind of people that you know, think more highly of themselves than they ought, you've probably had thoughts like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. No more of that. Too much emotional scar tissue. I mean, once somebody's been burned, it's, it's no wonder they're more resolved than ever to go with, I'm going to do what I'm, I'm going to do. I am, I'm not going to surrender again. I am not laying down on some altar again. Local churches actually break where the sin of thinking of oneself more highly than one ought goes unrestrained. And that's why we need sober judgment. Because it is complicated. I mean, the Christian life is not a sacrifice if the sacrifice will not remain on the altar at all. Remaining sin in the lives of all God's people is complicated. Charles Spurgeon once said, the demon of pride was born with us and it will not die one hour before us. 
we're not born in pieces, however. Nor are we born again in pieces. We are born again together into a living hope, into a living temple, into a living body. We're born anew into a spiritual house. We're born anew into a spiritual family, one body with many members, each with different functions, and each of whom is inclined by nature to think more highly of themselves than they ought. And so as counterintuitive as it is, it's the local church, which is the perfect context for us to think soberly and clearly and accurately and rightly about how much more highly we think of ourselves than we actually ought. Together and only together are we a physical and relational display of a corporate living sacrifice. And that means corporate laying down of our lives. It means corporate surrender to God, and each one saying, not my will, but God's will be done. And loved ones, listen, it, it, it means corporately recognizing, again, that everyone has been assigned by God a different measure of faith. How else are we going to think rightly about this? We're not all going to be exactly on the same page at all times. We're not all going to be exactly the same in our spiritual formation at the same time. We're, we're not all going to be on the same page of humility at the same time. It's a process. Some will have more faith. Some will have less. Some will be full and overflowing. Some will be believing, but oh God, help me with my unbelief. And isn't that why the first and foremost virtue virtue we need is humility. Living sacrifice thinks sober thoughts about themselves. Living sacrifices have sober judgment when it comes to their relationships with one another in the local church. There's a third category where we need sober thinking. The sober thoughts of of a living sacrifice, and, that's, and that has to do with spiritual gifts. Why spiritual gifts? <laughs> what could the use of spiritual gifts have to do with thinking more highly of oneself than they ought? A lot. Paul's case for sober judgment regarding this powerful tendency Continues in verses 6 through 8. Actually, start back in verse 4 again. He says, As in one body we have many members, and this is the key phrase, and the members do not all have the same function. So that's kind of the backdrop. You know, here we are together. Everybody has a different functionality. That requires enormous humility to own up to that. Then in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 
There's a lot to say about spiritual gifts in and of themselves, but I think in the context, Paul's speaking about humility and thinking accurately and soberly about ourselves. And it is in this context of spiritual gifts and how they function in the context of a, of a local church that just, it just has a way of revealing all that's going on inside of us. And so Paul's main points here are, you know, members of local churches, though, though they're all equal and they all form one body, they have different functions. And we lose sight of that so easily. Why am I not functioning that way? How come they get to function this way? Members of local churches have different gifts that differ the, the difference is not so much the gift. The difference is in the grace that is given. Paul doesn't say that we all have different gifts, at least in this context. What he says is that we have different functions with gifts that are differentiated. The, the differentiation is according to the measure of grace that is given. Now, there's that word grace again, right? It, it has nothing to do with kindness, gentleness, acceptance, you know, Give me some slack. This is about powerment. It's synonymous with spiritual empowerment. And what makes our respective functionality different from one another is not the nature of the spiritual gifts themselves. The functional difference is in the measure of the effect. The measure of grace that God imparts. Some function with moderate power, some function with great power. Some function with some relative effects, others lots of effect. And the strange thing is, and, and the humbling thing is, I, I'm so much more aware of this perhaps than any of you, but there are some days when it is, you just know that you're riding this wave of God's power, and there's other days when it feels like he just went like this, and you're all by yourself. You, it is humbling. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. To magnify how desperately reliant we are on the Lord because God is most glorified in us as we are most reliant upon Him. The point is, is that God has designed us all uniquely. God has assigned faith to each of us in different measures. God empowers each of us to differing degrees at different times in different circumstances. Loved ones, how and to what degree of effectiveness God reveals his presence and power through us is so that it's not about us. It's about him. So some will argue, you know, I hear these things, Certain spiritual gifts don't operate today. The reason that we know that is because we don't see them functioning at the same level as that they seem to function in the New Testament. That's completely contrary to the thinking of this text. Sober thinking of a living sacrifice knows that the level of power by which God operates is not what dispensation of time we're in, but God. God's the ultimate determiner. Some will press in to serve in such and such an area or capacity because they believe, oh, this is my gift. This is my passion. I have to serve this way. 
The sober thinking of a living sacrifice understands that gifts are not our possession. The gifts are simply categories by which God builds up his church. And the measure by which there is any effect is up to him. It's a manifestation of his power, not our power. Some press the, you know, they press the pedal to the metal saying, come on, come on, let's go. We gotta, what are we waiting for? Let's, let's do this, let's do that. And this, the sober thinking of a living sacrifice understands that, you know what, God made us with different aptitudes and different margins and different temperaments and different energy levels and different capacities and different measures of faith and different degrees of effectiveness. The reason we aren't all alike at the same time is precisely so that we would not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And then there are some who believe that God has given them a unique and useful function, but no one ever asks them. I mean, if, if others only recognize the valuable contribution that they could make, The sober thinking of a living sacrifice understands that if they have any faith at all, then obey God and do something. Use it. If prophecy, then prophesy. If you have faith to serve, then serve. If you have the faith to teach, Look for an opportunity to teach. If, if you have the faith to bring an exhortation or the faith to contribute generously or the faith to assert influence or the faith to, to just care for people, do it. Lean in. Use it. Engage with sober judgment of yourselves and in the spirit of a steward. A steward of God's varied measures, displays of his presence and power. So a living sacrifice trusts God's promises. And because they trust God's promises, they obey God's commands. And they pray that every effort of their life is a display of the matchless worth of Jesus. A living sacrifice sees that every hour, every breath, every deed is a gift from God to be stewarded for the glory of God. A living sacrifice thinks soberly about themselves and rather than being overcome with guilt and shame and regret, it's an occasion to recognize that God is at work to point you to his sufficiency. A living sacrifice thinks soberly about the relationship to one another in the local church. Yes, there are challenging relationships. And what an occasion it is for God to remind us of how much we need him and to think less highly of ourselves than we ought. A living sacrifice thinks soberly about their unique God-given design and they respect the unique design and deposit of God in the lives of others. And so we look to God to renew our spirits that in our lives and through this church, his church, he may be glorified today. Let's pray. And so Lord, as... Um, it's so apparent that by nature our impulse is 
constantly think more highly of ourselves than is right. Our estimate of ourselves is skewed. And one way or the other, um, that becomes an occasion for self-exaltation or self-loathing. I pray that it would be an occasion for us to think soberly about what it means to offer our lives wholly to you. Living sacrifice. For those who maybe on one end of the spectrum have felt exasperated with the flaws that we see in our brothers and sisters in Christ. Just so wearying. Or on the other extreme have been so deeply wounded by the pride of others. Pray, O oh God, that uh, today we would, we would find sober judgment, sober perspective to live as living sacrifices. These are, there's complexities to this. We need wisdom, wisdom that goes far beyond our capacity to figure it out. Forbid that we would think of ourselves and think about our capacity to settle it. Being more highly, more great than we actually have the capacity to do that. We, we need you. May it draw us to you. May it call us to you. And Lord, I pray that um, you'd put on display in your church, in this church, a people who are one body, functioning, 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 functioning all different ways, but humbly in reliance on the grace that you uniquely, distinctly, sovereignly pour out on each one at different times, in different situations, different circumstances. Be exalted, God. Be exalted. May we be a living sacrifice to you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.